Hey everybody, I'm Amna, the host of Uncomfortable. Welcome to our next episode. The goal here is to have honest and in-depth conversations about some of the issues that seem to be dividing America right now. So each week we like to host a thought leader to give their ideas a kind of rigorous shake around. And this week, I'm really pleased to say we have Christina Bennett with us. You are a self-described pro-life feminist. Thanks yes. so much for being here. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really honored to be here. So I want to give that self-description uh, a rigorous shaking around Please too. Do. but. We always like to hear about how people come to believe the things that they do, yes, why absolutely. they believe what they do. And you have this incredible story. You've yes. told it so many different places. You speak about it often, um, specifically when it comes to your views on abortion rights, yes. about how your mother had actually scheduled an abortion when she was yes. pregnant with you and had a very dramatic intervention in the clinic, which kept her from doing that. Yes. And uh, and that's it's an incredible story. I encourage people to go listen to your full telling of it. But I want to hear about what happened after that, how sure. you grew up, how you were raised, what was important to you, etc. Well, I my parents did get married mm-hmm. after my mom had scheduled the abortion and she had walked out. Her and my dad tried to make it work and they got married. He had two kids at the time and it lasted for about a year mm-hmm. and there was various issues and so they ended up uh, getting divorced but my dad's always been in my life and my mom has as well i love my mom and dad they're supportive of everything that i do which is really great i moved around a lot first grade second grade third grade fourth grade and fifth grade were different schools and Why is that? Uh, just because i think of the divorce and my mom moved to california and then my grandpa got sick and she moved back to connecticut and so i moved around a lot i was a reader i love to read mm-hmm. uh i think about you know harriet the spy and matilda <laughs> I, I really related a lot to matilda as a young person because she was just you know kind of a little awkward and she would find her refuge in books and right. in libraries, and she's misunderstood. Then she found Miss Honey, and so anyway, I <laughs> so she was your spirit animal girl. Yes, up. exactly. Okay. So I I loved her, and I would just really find a refuge, maybe maybe an escape in reading. But I had a wonderful family. I have a wonderful family. A mm-hmm. lot of strong women. And finally, I think maybe fifth grade, sixth grade, I settled in Connecticut, and. And then just continue to grow up and go to school. I mean, it was pretty normal, except for, of course, a blended family uh, and all that goes with that. Aside from that... When you say a blended family, your mom went on to get Well, she didn't get married. My dad got married. So I have a stepmother um, who's wonderful. And I have... uh, There's six of us. My dad has six kids. Okay. And so my dad's always been great about keeping us together and connected and everything. Yeah. And... And I have a big family on my mom's side, and then also on my dad, and so, and we're very diverse. Uh, we're a multiracial, ethnic diverse uh, family, and so some of my cousins are blonde, and some of my cousins have darker skin than I do, mm-hmm. and so we're just unique. I have, I love my family. I'm so grateful to God that He placed me in that family, and so, but I. I feel like I was a pretty normal person. I mean, high school, I, I rode crew, I did cheerleading. I wasn't the best student, but <laughs> to be honest. I like how you thought you're making yeah. a confession there. Like, I wasn't the best student, but I got kicked on. out cheerleading once for my grades, but. Did you really? Yeah. That had to be a bummer. I just wouldn't do um, my homework. I would just. Why? Because just I just would go home and just watch TV or do whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I, was, I struggled with being disciplined. I will say that. Okay. So I've struggled with being disciplined. It's amazing that okay. I. Some of the things I've done now, especially being an advocate, I've done for so long yeah. because growing up I did struggle with discipline and grades and 
and things I feel like, like a lot of kids do. I, feel, I mean, teenagers yeah. in particular, let's be honest. We all had days yes, where we didn't want to do our homework. Um, I want to talk about how you came to do the work that you do today. Sure, absolutely. Um, and you share this story often as well. But in your, it wasn't until your 20s, right, yeah. that you learned about the experience that your mom went through. A, what was that like for you to learn about that? And is that sort of where you trace your origin story in terms of the advocacy and the activism that you now do? Is that what was the pivot point? Well, it was it was the starting point. I had, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, so growing up, I would go to, you know, different churches with my mom and my dad, and there was a time and when someone had approached me in church and said that they had felt that God had told them that something remarkable had happened around the time of my birth or before my birth or something, and I had wondered what that was, and I asked my mom, uh, did something happen around the time of my birth? And as crazy as it may sound, she said that she'd met an angel, and I didn't know what that meant, and she didn't want to talk about it at all, and she's never said anything like that, and so I just let it go. This is when you were a kid, you asked This her? is when I was in my 20s, oh, in college, college. Yeah. and I was going to school for communications, and I thought maybe I would be, I wanted to be like Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you Shout still out could to be. Oprah. <laughs> I loved Oprah. I still do love, who doesn't love Oprah? I wanted to be like Oprah. I wanted to be, I, like you too, you know, doing journalism. I wasn't sure what direction, but I was thinking maybe along that line. Yeah. And so my mom told me that story. I ended up going to Kentucky on an inner city ministry trip, and I spent a summer working in Kentucky, working with the Boys and Girls Club, yeah. and, and just doing work in the inner city. And at that time, I said, when I get back home to Connecticut, I'm going to ask my mom about that story and what she met. And so I did. Why did it just seem to you like something was off? Or well, there was she, something I mean, she, she just didn't angel? want to talk like, about What is that? Okay. <laughs> what does that even mean? Hmm. She's never said that. I've never said that. I don't know yeah. anyone that's ever. So I didn't know if she meant just someone, you know, people use that word, someone that was in the right place at the right time, right. someone that was a helper, someone that saved her life in some way. Yeah. I didn't know what she meant. And so come to find out she meant it was the janitor who, when she was scheduled to abort me in the hallway crying, the janitor, African-American lady who mm-hmm. walked up to her, lifted up her chin and said, do you want to have this baby? My mom felt like that was the her angel yeah. in that moment. And what was that like for you to hear? Well, when I heard it, we were actually in the bathroom. We were just upstairs in this home that we were renting at the time. Yeah. And my mom didn't want to tell me. She said, you're, you're going to hate me. And I said, I would never hate you, mom. You could tell me anything. I would never hate you. And she was really afraid, really afraid to share it with me and ashamed that she had almost made that decision. And it was hard for me to hear it because I saw my mom's pain in that moment. And I hated that she had experienced pain like that Mm -hmm. and that she felt that she had to hide that from me for so many years was hard for me to hear. She left after we had that conversation. I think, I don't know where she went, but I sat on her bed and I cried and I just thought, wow, God, saved my life. I mean, that was what I thought. I thought God saved my life. I, I I just had to reflect and pause and wonder why me and not all the other women and why did my mom walk out and why am I here and why did I survive uh, the, the, you know, scheduled abortion mm-hmm. and tried to make sense of it all. Is that what became the moment that you decided I'm, I'm going to devote myself to this issue? No. No, that took no, a longer time. I mean, it did. I didn't know what to do with the story, honestly. Yeah. I didn't think about abortion that much. 
at the time. I mean, I had friends at abortions, and and I know, of course, I know I knew about abortion, but I just it wasn't something I talked about a lot or thought about a lot. I wasn't so, like an activist or anything. I didn't in know your twenties, though, as you said, you knew you knew people who had abortions. Yes. Uh, maybe other people who'd faced that same decision and hadn't. How did you view it? Because obviously faith is a big part of yeah. your life. What had you been taught about it? How did you view it? Like, wh- What did you think at that time? I wasn't taught anything. Well, what did you think when, when you knew about your friend's circumstances? I just... I mean, oftentimes those circumstances are combined with other things. And so I would often focus on maybe the other things. And so the guy abandoned my girlfriend and now she had to go get an abortion. Or not had to, felt she had no other option but abortion. I'm thinking how horrible that she was abandoned, how awful that that she had to go through that. Um, Now she's dealing with some pain, some post-abortive pain, and she's crying. And I'm thinking, wow, I wonder how I can help her or someone else can help her. Or just maybe someone had an abortion in high school and it was a secret. And I'm wondering, wow, um, how did their parents find out about that? Because in Connecticut, we don't have parental notification laws. Mm -hmm. So in Connecticut, you can be 15 and 16 to have an abortion and not tell your parents. Mm -hmm. And so... I didn't necessarily have what people would think of maybe as a judgment. Uh, And even though I grew up in church, abortion, and maybe it's different in Connecticut. It is different. There may be about it. It's different in New England than it is in the South. What do you mean? People don't talk about abortion in church in Connecticut and New England. They talk about it in the South? Yeah, they do. Really? Yeah. More than they do in, in the North. Yeah. Why? Because it's more prevalent? Well, I mean, it's more like, you know, the Bible Belt and just, I mean, we're very liberal and uh, not that liberals can't be pro-life because there are. You can be pro-life in anything, Hmm. but I mean, it's just, it's not something that I ever heard talked about in church until my 20s, until I met a guy named Lou Engel. And he was the first person I ever heard talk about abortion in a church setting. Yeah. And that was in my that was in college. So let's talk about because so often I think when we talk about the issue, everyone falls into a label, right? You're in one camp or yeah. the other. Are you pro life or are you pro choice? Um, and you identify as pro life. So Proudly. what does that what does that mean for you these days? Being pro life means that I honor life uh, from conception to natural death, uh, from the womb to the tomb, from the cradle to the grave. Funny way of saying it, but I respect life. I feel like every individual life has a purpose, has a value, has dignity, and I honor it and I want to preserve it as much as I can. I also see this issue as a civil rights issue, as a human rights issue. But what does that mean to? I mean, because yeah, people no, who are pro-choice, <laughs> people who are pro-choice can honor life of course, and respect absolutely. life. So it, that's not necessarily a distinction between yeah. the two. What do you what do you believe in in terms of policy or legislation? What is it you want to see happen as someone who's pro-life sure. today? So I am against the taking of human life through violent means, uh, which is abortion. I I want it to end. Uh, I want what Norma McCorvey wanted, who was the Roe and Roe v. Wade, and what Sandra Kano wanted, who was the Doe and Dobie Bolton. Uh, they, for the rest of their lives after their cases, uh, they shared that they were manipulated and used by people in places of authority that were higher than them. So you want Roe v. Wade overturned? I do. Yes, okay. absolutely. All abortions should be outlawed in your mind. I want abortion medical to or be, surgical. Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah, except for things like ectopic pregnancy. Uh, okay. Why? Because that's that's not considered an abortion in my mind. Uh, when the explain that to me though. Go well, when the uh, when it's growing inside of the fallopian tubes, right. there's no possible way that we know there's no that. viability yeah. for the fetus, right? Yeah, okay. or the mom, but right. Okay, 
So are you, let's talk about the other part of, sure. your, of the way you self-identify as a feminist, though, because these yes. two aren't often put together. Yeah, and not right? everybody's okay with that on any side, either feminist <laughs> side or pro-life side. So I'm just in that place where a lot of people don't like me, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yeah. I know what that feels like these days. So. What, what does it mean to you to be a feminist today? It means that I want equality for women, and I care about women, I care about my sisters, and I want them to succeed in every possible way, spiritually, emotionally, financially, physically. I want them to do better. I want rights for us. I want justice for us. I want us to be whole, and I, I, there's, there's a lot of issues connected to that. Um, we're seeing some of them in the news now, like sexual harassment and abuse. Uh, a lot of women that I work with and the work that I do have uh, domestic violence situations, mm-hmm. and that burdens me. Uh, that's something that my mom dealt with, um, and a lot of people in my family have dealt with. And so I've seen women myself and those that I love hurting in a lot of ways, and I want justice for them. I want them to live the best lives that they possibly can. So how do you reconcile the two? Because obviously to say that you love and honor all other women means that at the same time you'd like to take what some believe is a a right that they would like to have, what millions believe is a right they'd like to have and exercise. So how do you reconcile the two? Well, I mean, one way is knowing the history of feminism and understanding that there are pro-life feminists, Susan B. Anthony, you know, Elizabeth Cady Stanton. These are women that uh, consider themselves to be pro-life, uh, maybe they didn't have that term at the time, but they were against abortion, child killing, whatever ways that it happened. And so we have a history of that. And people know that there was even a joke on Saturday Night Live where they did a skit and you know they went into um, Susan B. Anthony's house and at the end she's like, talks about abortion and it's really awkward and funny and people are like, what, you know, but people know that about her. And so but it's, they were you also- know, living in a time before there was a Supreme Court decision that reinforced a constitutional right that most, women now support in America, the statistical majority support. I mean, so it's, it's not tr- really applicable. Well, I mean, I'm talking I, in the I modern think it context. Is. I think it is. It's just, there's all sorts of different ways of doing something. So yeah. they were living before a time when we would do abortion in the way we do it today, you know, in the sanitized way. I think people don't even fully understand what abortion really is because it's been so sanitized. And that's why I think it's easy for us to say, you know, I support abortion, but very few of us have ever really looked at it, looked at the instruments, looked at what it does to a fetus, looked at how after a certain amount of time, the fetus may even flinch away from the instruments. That's what Abby Johnson saw. Uh, she's a pro-life advocate. So it caused her to leave uh, Planned Parenthood when she watched that happen through an ultrasound guided abortion. She saw the fetus move. So many of us are so disconnected. And even mm-hmm. with the women that I work with, uh, at a pregnancy center, when they talk about abortion, it's just, I'll take a pill if it's the RU486, or right. I'll get rid of it. And so we've put that wall. But still, whether it was you know, hundreds of years ago when we were saying I'm against child killing, or whether it's now and they're saying I'm against the act of abortion, it's still the same thing, you know, regardless of how it's done or how no, people's I mean, opinions have changed. Abortion today are very yeah. different than they were done in the time of Susan B. Anthony. We can, yeah, we can I mean, agree on that. Yeah, they're definitely different, but still... They're definitely the safer. Val- they're definitely done in a much more well, legislated I mean, and regulated way. I would, it depends. I mean, there's still women... We don't hear their stories, but there's still women who die from safe legal abortions there's still women absolutely who, and there's still women who die from like healthy pregnancy deliveries that there are those are absolutely true those are still the outliers though 
Yes, but we hear about those and we often don't hear about abortion. I mean, abortion's often talked about as safe. It used to be safe, legal, and real. Now it's just safe and legal, but we don't hear about the women whose uteruses are perforated. We don't hear about the women, and I have at least two do you or think three if close women friends. learned more about abortions that you don't think as many women would support oh, their yeah. right to yeah. have one? I mean, you, you think that. Absolutely, because the majority of people that I talk to, and I mean, again, even my close friends who, who've had abortions, will tell me, I never knew. No one ever told me. And whether that's the pain afterwards, no one ever told me that I would have emotional side effects, yeah. or no one ever told me that they could leave fetal remains inside of me and I would have to go back. No one ever told me those things. Yeah. And so... Gosh, I mean, that's one of the most frustrating things. That's something that bothers me so much is that women are not educated. Women so are not why told. isn't it that you advocate for education? I do. When it comes to... No, but you're advocating for people t for the loss of the right to exercise that. Oh, I'm advocating for education. I mean, that's one of the things I do at the Pregnancy Center is we educate and inform women about their options. I want women to know. I mean, at the end of the day right now, until the law changes, they have the legal right to do whatever they want. Right. Uh, but I want them to know. The worst thing is when a woman says, I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea idea that it would hurt this way. I had no idea that this could possibly happen. The worst in my, well, I don't know. I, I shouldn't say that one thing is worse than the other, but one of the hardest things for me is to when a woman, when I've met women and I have friends that are infertile and they were never told that there's a possibility of them becoming infertile because of a botched abortion. And so they made a decision thinking, because a lot of women that I've worked with that I've seen in, you know, 12 years of doing this work will think, you know, if it's their first kid, they may think, if I have this abortion, I hope to have one down the road, another child. Mm -hmm. And many times they do. I mean, I, in no way am I going to pretend that every single woman that has an abortion is going to have a botched abortion or perforated uterus or die or anything else or have a negative experience in the sense where they leave and say, I was traumatized. So, right. no. I mean, there are women who will tell you to this day. I was at the Supreme Court once and a woman said, hey, I had six abortions and I'm fine. And I said, okay, you know, whether or not that's you know, whether she's fine emotionally or not, I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know her, but I believe that there are women who will have these procedures and, and say that it bettered their life um, at the same time. And I think that's what we hear the most of, that narrative. At the same time, the stories that we don't often hear, unless you're kind of in the pro-life movement, are the women who were traumatized. And even, you know, post-abortion stress syndrome is just not because they they are the minority. I mean, at, at the rate that abortions are are conducted these days, and we're still at historic lows, yeah. right, in recent years, the vast majority are safe and the vast majority are conducted in procedures that end up being, you know, successful by those standards. And the, the women you're talking about go through in, incredible pain and and many people have that kind of trauma and and experiences, but those aren't the majority of the cases. Is that why we don't hear I about them? I think that we don't hear about it because women are uncomfortable talking about it. Every time I talk about abortion Can I tell you in church, also, I think women are also just uncomfortable talking about health stuff in general. Oh, of course. I'll yeah, tell you I the mean, things that surround it. it. Well, things just surrounding uh, women's health and, yeah. and pregnancy and, and delivery and all those things. There's a lot of things of that aren't talked about yeah, when it comes absolutely. to women's health. I mean, that's true. And yeah. I understand that. And that's even my mom. Like I said, she didn't tell me that she, right. you know, until I was in my 20s. But every time I go to a church and talk about abortion, every single time. Somebody will come up to me afterwards. Sometimes they have gray hair and their abortion was 30 years ago. And sometimes they're 19 and it was two months ago. And they will tell me a painful story. And sometimes men. 
will come up to me and tell me their stories because it's not just women who are affected by abortion, it's men as well. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, gosh, like if we talked about abortion more in church, and and when I mean talked about abortion more in church, I don't mean you're from the pulpit, you know, pointing your finger at women, shaming women, guilting women. I'm not about that. you know, educating them, letting them know if you're in a church, you know, letting them know God's views on life and the value of human life and and his role as a creator and everything else, but also offering them what I would call post-abortive care, letting them know if you're hurting, if you have guilt, if you have shame, if you've never talked about it. I mean, I've had pastors' wives and ministers and people say, I've I mean, never told anyone the in 20 to years. Is that well, just letting about them too? know. And if you feel like you can't talk about it, if you feel like you're in pain, you have a place to come to Yeah, you have a place to come to. I mean, I work with women and offer them the ability to have a safe space to share. And I put... I want to ask you about your work in a second, but you mentioned this earlier and it's something that fascinates me because I haven't seen a lot of conversation around this and and I'm interested. You talked about it as a civil rights issue. Yes. And I've noticed in, you know, you were featured in a documentary um, called Here from Heaven. Yes. Um, You've shared your story in that. You talk a lot about the disproportionate effect that you think abortion rights have on African Americans. Yes. Tell me about that. Why do you think there's a racial element to this? Well, I mean, Margaret Sanger's writings, for one, she was the founder of Planned Parenthood and she, I mean, you just Google Margaret Sanger and you're going to see that she was that she believed in eugenics that she right. and a lot of people will say well everybody believed that back in the day but everybody, everybody. it was it was widely held it wasn't everybody <laughs> not everybody yeah. and even if they did you know um, maybe there was a time when slavery was widely accepted there was we know that yeah. and just because people believe in something doesn't mean it's right uh, but she believed in that but it wasn't just you know oh she well, believes she believed in, in this eugenics and, which was not necessarily Look, she may have been a racist, yeah. right? It was the 1900s. She absolutely may have been. But that wasn't about race. That was about, she seemed to be arguing around socioeconomic lines. It was, she had something called the Negro Project. Yes. No, so, and, well, NYU, has, NYU has done and, a whole study on this that yeah, talked so, about how they wanted to try to influence communities where there was abject poverty and where they saw people not being able to exercise any birth control options. And so she was out there trying to, and it wasn't about abortions back then, right? It was about birth control. Yes. She was out there experimenting with foams and all kinds of things to try to say, if women get to exercise when and how they have kids, can this help to uplift a family from poverty that's been enforced on them after decades and decades of discrimination and oppression? But she also met with the KKK and spoke at one of their rallies. And so there was a another storyline going on there. It wasn't just that she was trying to reach the black community and help them pull them out of poverty. I mean, you can go on Amazon today and you can look up a man named Lothrop Stoddard and you can find a book called The Rising Tide of Color Against White Supremacy. He was one of her early board members. So you got to wonder, and he wasn't the only one. I mean, if you did the history of I don't, it. I don't doubt at all yeah. that there were very racist individuals involved they, in her birth control efforts in the very beginning. You have to just wonder. I don't, you know? no, I don't doubt that at all. But but the idea that it was to to eradicate an entire population of people. I mean, she was advocating for birth control in the white communities as well. It wasn't as if it was targeting one American community. And this is my understanding. I've been digging into some of the academic no, consensus of course. I mean, on this, people believe that, that about is, her, but, I, but many other people don't i mean her writings she said we don't want no, word to get out that we want to exterminate her, but there's the no Negro academic race. consensus to say that there are people who have a particular point of view about what the movement should be who interpret certain lines of i know there's this 1939 letter that she wrote to certain people there's say, a lot i mean her writings yeah. were just i've seen shocking. i'll tell you what i have seen yeah and, and please tell me if i'm wrong yes, here but please. i have seen individual lines the same 
one line again and again talking about this argument and making the argument that she was racist in her intentions with this birth control effort. And that one line, when I went back to the original source letter, seems to me like it's been taken way out of context. What was now, the one I line? Don't know. It was the one line about how she was reaching out to a minister, uh, to an organization she was going to in the South, and she was saying, it's my hope that the minister can help to uh, like get rid Deal of with the, the idea. more rebellious members of the black community. No, it was, no, it was oh. a line about how uh, the idea that this is somehow the exterminating the black race. I hope that the ministers can help to dispel this in some way. I'm totally misquoting it. No, I hope people but will I go look up the saying. original yeah. 1939 no, letter. It's out there. You can do that. Um, but it is, it's in a longer letter talking about the goals for the program. Uh, look, the whole point in all this is I mean, is I think her say, goals were to decrease the black population and not just that disabled people i mean she talked about them being like weeds okay. that you want to exterminate margaret sanger set up the first birth clinic in birth control clinic in 1916 yes i know we are now in 2017 yes so it's fair to say the organization like all institutions in america has evolved in many different ways well i don't know if it's fair to say that i mean like over 75 percent of their abortion facilities are lower income minority neighborhoods african-american women are the that most likely to get of planned parenthood of planned parenthood yeah but and the vast she started majority, planned parenthood is just a small slice of places where people can get no, illegal abortion planned in america probably does around 40 percent of the abortion the vast majority of clinics abortion clinics in america plan, including planned planned parenthood are in majority white neighborhoods well there are more white people than black obviously obviously, because we're minority, yeah. but black women are three times more likely to get abortions in any other race. So we they make are. up about 13% Not of the any population. Other race. Latina women are more likely well, I, than black I've women. I've heard that it's black women are the most. That's my statistics, that it's black women. I don't know well, if that's growing for you know Latina women, this, but, where this but either one is though, not good. Where this intersects, and this is a whole other issue that it ties into this, as you mentioned, it never just happens alone as a separate uh, incident. It's about socioeconomics, too, right? That the vast majority of women who, and you're right, black women are more likely than non-Hispanic uh, white women to get abortions. But there's also an intersection to say that low-income women, poor women in America, are also more likely to do that. And unfortunately, in America, women of color are way more likely to be black or Latina. Yeah, and that's why we need a lot of change and a lot of help and a lot of assistance because women don't grow up wanting to have an abortion and i understand that reality you know yeah. women don't you know you've got little kids and they're playing with their dolls and they're dreaming and saying i want to be a mom one day you know no little kid and of course they don't know about abortion when they're little but even when you're a teenager no one necessarily grows up wanting to have an abortion of course you know? not but oftentimes they feel like that's their only option because they don't know how they're going to make it or their boyfriend's pressuring them. A lot of it has to do with pressure from men, which is part of the reason I'm a pro-life feminist, because I've seen it over and over and over again, where if a woman comes in and she's thinking about having an abortion and the guy in her life, if there's a guy that stayed, says, you know what? I'm going to stick with you. We're going to do this. I'll help you in every way possible. Yeah. I would say, I mean, these are my own little stats. Maybe eight times out of 10, the woman's going to say, okay. And... But the majority of the women that I've seen over the years, the guy is gone. Or he's telling them. I just talked to a woman two days ago uh, who came in by herself for an appointment and uh, had an emotionally abusive situation going on. And the guy said, you have to get an abortion. You have to do that. And so she did. She you know, called Planned Parenthood. She was trying to do it. And then she just couldn't go through with it. And so she came to our, our pregnancy center instead. But there's so much 
abuse that's hidden. I've stood outside of abortion clinics and I've seen guys dragging girls into the center. And then we talk about abortion with these terms of like liberation and empowerment and shout your abortion. And I just wonder like, have people seen what goes on inside of these centers, well, inside of these clinics? You do, you, do you believe in birth control? Do I believe in birth control? Birth control exists. I believe in it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I know uh, what you that's mean. Not what I'm I know saying. what you mean. I'm being silly. Um, do I believe in birth control? I mean, birth control is a complicated thing. I personally am opposed to birth control, and it's partly because of Margaret Sanger and her belief system. And I mean, she was the one that came up with with her friends, with her wealthy, rich, white, elite friends. They were the ones that came up with the birth control pill. I mean, she's the one that coined the phrase. And again, with the Negro Project, she was pushing birth control into the black community. I don't have a crusade necessarily to take, uh, you know, to go well, into I, women's I homes and take their birth control from in them. The, but. In the context of the conversation we're having, essentially abortion exists because there are unintended pregnancies, right? For any number of reasons. Yes, yeah. And I wonder if if there was a way to stop those from happening, then we wouldn't even have to be having necessarily abortion conversation. We have if there were better efforts made towards providing contraception where it's needed, towards sex education, towards actually uh, prosecuting and keeping uh, rapists and, and people who uh, assault sexually, you know, off the streets. Uh, I'd love to kind, keep them off the streets. What do you believe for people who, for women who, who want to be able to have sex and don't want to necessarily have a baby? Well, I will say this, back to education. I grew up knowing little to nothing about my body. Right. Um, it wasn't talked about at home. I mean, I love my mom, but she, we didn't have that conversation. And a lot of women I work with grow up knowing little to nothing about their body. Yeah. So they're coming into the center like, I don't know how I got pregnant. And that's because they don't know anything about ovulation or when they possibly can get pregnant. That's actually not so easy to get pregnant. I mean, my one of my OBs said that maybe about 20% of you know the time that you can actually get pregnant. And so, but a lot of women, they're just, they've never been educated. And so I'm not for, you know, one of these just say no things, um, but I am for educating women so they know this is what's going on in your body. This is when you're most fertile, like holistic healthcare. I think that's so important for women and we don't have that piece. Sure. Now we have more birth but control than ever. Well, I mean, but birth control doesn't either because otherwise we wouldn't, we'd be done. (laughs) If birth control solved this problem, we'd be done because we have more birth control than ever before. I mean, the morning after pill is available over the counter. You can go into the Stop and Shop or CVS. You can buy the morning after pill. I mean, it's 2017. I mean, no, it's 2018. Birth control is more than it's ever been and abortion rates are as low as they've ever been. Do you not think there's a connection? I mean, not necessarily, honestly, because... But could there be a connection? There could be some connection, but it doesn't always correlate because women, a lot of women are on birth control, but that doesn't mean that they necessarily always use it properly. Birth control, in a lot of ways, can be... It can seem to be a safety net for women because they don't understand that birth control is not 100% no, of course. Um, preventative for for. No, obviously STDs, but also pregnancy. And so I talk to women who feel as if all I have to do is take my birth control pills. All I have to do is get an IUD and then I'll be fine. And I can have, you know, unprotected sex and I don't have to worry about um, getting pregnant. And then it fails them. For some reason, it fails them. And then well, all of a sudden- You're talking about, let's be clear, you're talking about the less than 1%. Birth control is, ni- when it's used properly, is 99% effective. You know- 
I'm ta- I've met a lot of women who but have we don't, had... Listen, Christine, we don't legislate on anecdotes. I understand you've had personal experiences. Yeah, we're talking I mean, about statistics. We're talking about what... Absolutely. And, and they're not without value. But we're talking about what we know to be true about a medical fact, right? When women take their birth control properly and when it's, when it's the, the right pill for them, it works, Right, and, and the effect that that has had on what women can do about what kind of control they can exercise over their body. To be able to say, I want to wait to have a child. I, I want to be able to engage in consensual sex recreationally. I want to be able to have this control over my life. That has had enormous effect on the way women can enter the workplace, on the kind of careers they can have, on the, on the control they exercise in society. I mean, that, that much is well, undeniable. Well, I will not say that you know women are not able to do different things because they take birth control I'm not going to deny that reality but at the same time I mean you have to think about the fact that again we have more birth control than we've ever had before ever and we're still and having we have fewer abortions than we've ever had before yeah but when you say but fewer, isn't that what you're working towards? when you say fewer think about this Planned Parenthood alone yeah. alone is doing over 330,000 abortions a year yes so that's not okay with me. I mean, okay. that's completely unsettling. The numbers are so high. And I don't think that contraception alone is the answer to changing that because abortion has to be seen as something that's unthinkable. Otherwise, you can take birth control, yeah. you can have a condom, you can have your IUD, and if it happens to fail, you will still go towards abortion because abortion is seen as something that is empowering you know, good, uh, or maybe just neutral. It's not seen as something that can be devastating to women, that's taking a human life. And that's what has to change. I think See, the mindset think has to change. And also with adoption, too. Look, I'll just throw I, I that in as well. I don't know that everyone treats it as cavalierly as you seem to be accusing Oh, people. no, I don't I, think I don't, that this I don't is a decision that, that weighs that's not what very I'm heavily on the millions of women who have to weigh it Oh, of course. Every yes. year. I, oh, I'm not saying and, that. You know, we're, and I'm I'm speaking from a position of privilege here. I have never had to be in that position where that was a decision I had to make. But from my understanding, if we're going to go to anecdotes here, when women have to make those decisions, that is not something that is done casually or done on a whim. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, I... I do not think that at all. I mean, or, I sit with done, women. Or done with the idea that this is empowering for me to some well, degree. Well, I mean, it depends it's, on who you're talking about because that's, that's, the, that's the language. That is the language. Now, I do believe that there's a big difference between liberal elite celebrities and, uh, I don't know, everyday people, so Wait, to speak. why are we talking about celebrities? I don't know, because a lot of them promote abortion rights. Um, so, but I'm just g- giving the example of the difference because who's talking about abortion? I mean, politicians talk about it. when you when you turn on the television or when you go on Facebook or social media. Who do you see as the faces that are talking about abortion? It's usually just politicians, spiritual leaders, or celebrities for the most part. Um, and then, of course, women and men who have their individual stories. But mostly, they're the ones that are the activists and the advocates for either abortion or against abortion. And so they're very strong. But you're including yourself in that group, right? As yes, a spiritual I am in that group. Yes, okay. I'm in that group. Okay. So um, I feel that we have very strong messages. And a lot of the messages that women hear from pro-choice voices are messages 
that say that abortion is empowering, it's liberating, and there's no, say, there's I no have shame. Never, I have never heard. Well, the You've idea never that there's heard no, that? the idea that there's no shame. I've heard that all the time. You've of never course, heard empowering and liberating. I have. I have, oh, well, I have no. I have heard that the the idea that it is a legal right, that it is constitutionally available to women. That is what I've heard in terms of empowerment, meaning that it's a choice. I want to back this yeah. up for just a second, though, because we're way off the rails on Sorry. this. No, no, it's fine. Yeah. I wanted to get into it. I was it. just trying to say the that idea. I think most women, like you said, I I know that. Like, I sit with women. I, I cry with them. I talk with them. Like, I in no way am saying that it's an easy decision for them to make. What yeah. I am trying to say is that society has given these messages to women. And so because of that... What message are you talking about? A lot of messages. You know, my body, my choice. Yes. Um, that's just you, one. You don't believe throwing. in that. Well, I, the message in and of itself is, is false because we're talking about two bodies and not just one body. I mean, the, the fetus is not just a part of the woman's body. The fetus has its own individual heartbeat and sometimes a gender that's different than the woman and its own body. I mean, I'm not attached to my mother. I was growing inside of her. I'm my own person. My mother has never had the great privilege of being with someone like you and being on a, a wonderful show like this and, and various other things that I've you know been able to do in my life. And so I'm an individual person. And so when we, we say my body, my choice, that's not true it it is your choice that's right it is your choice because you've been given that through Roe v Wade and Doe v Bolton but it's not just your body and so I've seen women just repeat that just because that's the you know we through the power of media and the arts and everything else we give people language and they hold on to that language and sometimes in a moment when they are afraid and they are alone like I remember I was talking to an African-American woman once and she had an abortion and she regretted it and she was a christian woman and she said i don't i just I, for a long time i couldn't figure out why i did this because i was opposed to abortion and then i got pregnant and i had the abortion i couldn't remember i couldn't figure out why i did it and then i remembered that in high school uh i don't know if it was planned parenthood or another group a pro-choice group came in and gave her this language right and so in her moment where she felt afraid that came back to her and she said okay you know my body my choice and she she clung to that and then eventually it, it ended up failing her because you know that couldn't comfort her after the fact when she was dealing with you know post-abortion pain and trauma and so you're so, saying you want to give women alternative language I an do. alternative narrative i do to be able they to don't. hang on to but at the same time what you're advocating for is the loss you say is my body my choice it's not fully my body it's still my choice and if roe v wade were undone it wouldn't be a choice anymore but not we shouldn't have the right to all choices i mean we without consequences you know i mean of course like if you think about our law like i have the choice to steal from you to hurt you to you know kill someone like i have the choice to do that and no one can take away my choice but those choices are not without consequences and so but i those think are choices that break the law well this choice does not it doesn't now, but it's only been the law since 1973. I mean, I was born in 1981. So just because it's the law doesn't mean it's right, just like so many other things. I mean, the civil rights movement, slavery, I mean, just because it's the law doesn't justify it. And I, I think about abortion like I think about slavery and like I think about the civil rights movement and some of the things that my you know ancestors and forefathers fought for because without the right to life you have no other right so if my mother had kept her appointment and she'd gone through with it and I was aborted yeah 
I'm gone. And I don't just disappear. My body is taken apart into little pieces and put in an incinerator and it's gone. And no one ever knows my name or I have no destiny and I'm erased from history. And therefore I have no right to vote or right to go to whatever school I'd like to, graduate from college, marry, drive a car, all of the things that are feminist, you know, women that have fought for, for, for centuries. I don't have any of those things. They're taken away from me. And so this is... You know, the right to life is the most important civil rights issue of our day. It's the most important right that we have because without it, you have you have nothing. And the fact that abortion is the number one cause of death in the black community, you know, that burdens me so much because our brothers, our sisters, our children, we're, we're allowing them to be destroyed by an industry that is not for us, that is taking advantage of us, that is taking our money and leaving us broken and in pain and wounded and hurting and i want to change that i want women to know that there's hope that there's other options you know let me we didn't talk this, about in, in oh, talking about in, in the conversations you have with women as part of your work people come to you uh because they don't know what to do right and this is yeah. clearly and sometimes something. they do know but but yes also they don't depends okay because we work with women who but you work in we should clarify this you work in it's a pregnancy resource center and so if people were to google of, you know yeah. say i'm pregnant i don't know what to do or i have questions about uh, an abortion or or whatever it is one of your services can come up and say we can help direct you yes and right? we also work with women who've already made their decision so you can come right. in nine months pregnant and we'll work with you do parenting programs we can work right. with you to your child's too so it's not only women who are making those decisions yeah but but it is women that are is it mostly women in that um, situation or is for it, our a, center yeah. it's probably like we probably have a little bit more women who are in the parenting program okay than we do who women come to you are, for support yeah but that's right? just like i'm going to have this baby yeah. I, I need extra help yes what do I, do? I need resources so, but there's pregnancy centers are all across the country there's thousands of them so uh so the, what do you tell someone when they walk in the door and they say i i don't want i don't think i want to have this baby i'd listen and then what um, ask questions. I try to understand what is uh, leading them towards that decision. Is it a lot of times it's housing, uh, believe it or not. It's not something that is really you know popular to talk about. We talk about these things, but a lot of times no, it's money, housing. Money and resources um, and all the things yeah, that it a takes lot of times to raise a kid, uh, right? You know, my grandma's going to kick me out. My yeah. mom won't let me live here. So it's housing, but it's housing connected to people, right. with people's mindsets, which is you can't be pregnant and stay here. Right. So that's unfortunate. And so what happens in that instance, for example? Well, if it is that, yeah. uh, we discuss that. You know, have you talked to your mom? Have you talked to your boyfriend? Right. Have you had that discussion with him? No, he's going to kill me. She's going to kill me. Well, is that a healthy relationship in the first place? I mean, sometimes abortion, sometimes this moment where a woman is thinking about having an abortion brings up other things. Sure. Because when a guy is saying... I'm going to kill you if you don't have this abortion or you have to you're getting kicked out if you don't have this abortion or I'm leaving you if you don't have this abortion. Well, okay, so there's some deeper root issues here that were hidden and now the pregnancy Do you decision, address those? Oh yeah, of course. So yeah. what you put them into like relationship counseling yeah. or you go and talk um, to the family so with them. So we would connect or? them. We have uh, domestic violence shelters, domestic yeah. violence homes, um we licensed counselors that we can refer them to resources. Yeah, because yeah. we care about the whole woman and right. I have no control over whether or not a woman comes in and decides she's going to have an abortion or not. And I right. don't tell them what to do because just there's no point in telling them what to do because telling someone what to do in, in this particular situation, you know, is not going to mean that they're going to say, okay, I'm going to go do this. So, right. um, Do you have we, women who come in who you counsel? And I'm sure you make it clear what your views are and what you think is best suited for them who also walk no, away then and we say... we don't make it clear. 
you you don't share your views with them at all no because if i can you imagine me saying to a woman well my mom she was scheduled to abort me but she didn't you know yes i could you you literally do that all the time no, i mean you go on speaking in, tours to do in, that you speak yeah, in front of millions of people every you'd year you'd be to surprised do that. that nobody knows me in outside of this context nobody I mean, in your hometown knows you or your story nobody who comes into the place that i work knows me because people don't that's why I said the disconnect, as I was mentioning before. Hmm. Like when when I work with girls and or women, and they come in, they're like, "Yeah, plan that place that I went to." You know, they're like, they don't know Nairal. They don't know yeah. like we know this because we're in this world. Like right. they're trying to survive. They're trying to live their life. Like they don't know the politics of it. They don't know which senators pro life or which. Right. And I'm not. I'm really not trying to dismiss them. I mean, like if it's college students, they would. But just a lot of working women, moms at home, like they are trying to live their life. And yeah. so they don't, like my mom, like she doesn't, you know, right. when she was making her pregnancy decision, doesn't, didn't she know all the other stuff. Policy I hadn't even politics. thought about abortion I until I was in my 20s. I like, get it. So, there, so no, I've never ever, in, you know, four years plus years of working with women, I've never ever had a woman say, I've, I saw you on this show or I've read this about you. And so, yeah, I am able to keep my views um, separate from what I do. Maybe when, that'll change after this interview. You, I won't be able to do it anymore. They're going to say, I saw you on Uncomfortable. You you advise them. You try to guide them to the right resources. I'm asking this in the context of the this of course, thing you said earlier, which is that, look, the, the, the pregnancy is one thing. The abortion conversation is another. There's a whole set of circumstances around how people get pregnant, why they get pregnant, why they want to make the decisions they do afterwards. And your organization and the work that you do is only really touching a part of it. It is. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So what we about need, the rest of it? Gosh, we need everything. We need everything. Everything. And I don't, I mean, we need... But what are you doing to, to address that everything? So we can only do so many things in our sphere you know so if a woman comes in and she needs housing uh, then we can connect her with resources whether that's a pregnancy home you know maternity home or whether that's unfortunately but is that some place she can stay for the rest of her life oh i mean no of course not but right so how does that actually fix a problem well there's a lot of places that you go to for it, whether it's a year or two years that really help you i mean it doesn't you know whether it's counseling you know people don't a lot of people don't stay in counseling for their whole life, but you never say because they went to counseling for one year that it wasn't valid. It didn't help them get from one place to the next. I mean, sometimes we're giving people stepping stones and we're helping them get from one place to the next. And if they are in a situation, like you could say the same thing about domestic violence shelters. I mean, yeah. people don't stay in domestic violence shelters for their whole life because they're not supposed to. Right. They stay in domestic violence shelters for a period of time when they're in crisis mm-hmm. to help them. And then they then enable them to get other resources, and whether that's going back to school or whether that's getting a job so they can carry on. I mean, I see women who... But you provide, you said you'd help the kids through the parenting program up yeah. until they're two years old, yes. right? And then what? And then you train... And the hope is that they've made enough contacts and, and well, resources... And then you, and then we partner with them and so i mean i personally as as a partner with them so as a believer personally i think that the local churches are one of the best and it doesn't have to be just churches it could be synagogues or mosques because we have there's muslim people that are pro-life i know wonder but what if you're an atheist what if you don't have a community of worship well atheists have friends and nonprofit organizations you know there's also pro-life organizations for atheists, secular pro-life, for an example, is run by one of my friends who's an atheist. So there are a lot of resources out there, but what I mean by partnering is that you, you sent them on a journey and then you 
give them resources, walk alongside of them, and help them to uh, to grow. And so what that can look like is, you know, for instance, one client that I have now who, when she first came in, now this isn't actually an abortion situation. She she had an abortion. So when she first came in, she'd had an abortion and she felt like she wanted to die afterwards. She said that she had suicidal thoughts. She came in for a pregnancy test. It was a negative test. I said, if you want to stay, you can stay and we can we can talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can just have kind of a mentorship thing where we talk. So she did. And because she had a boyfriend that was pushing her. If she was pregnant, he would have said, you have to get an abortion. And she was afraid of that because she had one before. So she stayed at the time. She had a difficult situation with her mother. And so she ended up having to go into shelter. And we helped her with that through that whole process. She lives in the same complex that I live in now. And I just, in fact, the other day, her daughter was getting off the bus and her daughter ran to me. And, you know, the dad was a little bit far back and her daughter ran to me. Um, But yeah, she lives in the same complex that I do. She's working. And so just... And some of that was through conversation, accountability, yeah. how are you doing? But some of it's resumes, you know, filling out resumes. Um, but all of those, various look, things, look, those are all incredible we're, resources, We're not right? solving you're, all their problems. You're not solving and all their problems. And we're not trying to. We're not pretending to. We couldn't. Like, I we get never that. could. But all the things that are necessary to then support them and hold them up and walk along that path, as you say, past the age of two, yeah. way past the age of two, all of those things sadly and unfortunately don't exist right now that's not the society we live in right well, that's not where we've been putting our resources that is not the part of society we could, have been hold- it could it be could though be, but i'm talking it. about the world we live in I'm trying not to the one the we world. want but I'm you're to changing change it. it from one specific perspective yeah but look, i'm one person already, let me <laughs> ask you this but let me ask you this there are women out there who have a two-year-old yes who are maybe under dire socioeconomic stand, or circumstances right or they, or they don't know where they're going to live and maybe there's a, a domestic violence situation yes. going on at home why aren't you helping her with the kid that's already alive to get to the next place that she needs to get to in life rather than trying to stop someone from preventing getting in that situation in the first place. Well, I will say that 12 years of doing ministry and pro-life work, I've helped many women in those situations. Yeah. I mean... But that's not your life's work. You're you're a pro-life activist. Yeah, but life... Yeah. (laughs) But pro-life for you means means getting rid of abortion. Pro-life for me, like I said before means honoring and respecting and defending life from the womb to the tomb, from the cradle to the grave. But yes, you are abortion, advocating I am. for the end yes. of abortion. And rights. I am totally proud of that and not yes. ashamed of that. But that doesn't mean that I don't help women who are not in those situations. But your day-to-day job is not about helping those women past the age of two. Your organization helps them That's up until the age of two. Women who come to us who have children that are two also have other children that are older than two years old. And we do various things for them. In fact, I'm getting ready to start a Christmas program for them where we gather toys from all sorts of organizations like the I'm post office that and we give them the, free On the fringes services. of your work, you don't also end up helping those. That's not the mission of your work right now. That is not where you've chosen to put what? all this incredibly ener- incredible energy and care and love Thank and you. devotion. That I you have, have a lot of but energy. Yes, but that is, that's not where you've chosen to put it. But that's okay because I am one person. I'm not a social worker. I, I wish I could be. I wish I had time to go back and get my master's degree or money and pay off my student loans for my undergrad. I wish I could be, you know. But you have to, in life, know what you can and can't do. Otherwise, you'll burn out. And so I have to work with social workers and I have to work with adoption agencies. And not have to. I like to work with them and domestic violence counselors. You know, I have a... I, 
had a burning heart. Um, and so if I watch a certain movie, I'm like, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to go to Africa. I, I've been, I spent three months in Mozambique, but I, I want to go. I, if today God was like, drop everything and go and work in an orphanage in Mozambique, and my husband agreed to it, <laughs> I would go back and do that. But I believe that I was rescued, saved, delivered for this particular purpose. And so this is my life work and I do this, but that's where the partnership comes in. That's where working with other organizations come in. And yeah. maybe I'm an optimist, I, I, I guess I am, but I think there's enough of us out here where we start to change things. Like my friends, I have, she runs a group called New Wave Feminism. Mm -hmm. And she's making an app called um, Help Assist Her. And so that app is for women who are in these situations. So if they're pregnant or if, they're, if they have a child, they can go into this app and they can find resources all throughout you know, their, their state. I mean, there's federally qualified health centers. There's all these different organizations that are out there to assist women. I mean, we have, it may sound cheesy, but we really do have what it takes in America when it comes to money and resources and time and energy, but we just haven't put all of our efforts towards helping, whether it's women that are making a pregnancy decision or whether it's women that are not making a pregnancy decision and they do have a four-year-old or five-year-old or six-year-old and they're on section eight and they're on it forever and they're stuck in the inner city or they're stuck in the hood. Let me ask you they about don't the know details. Where to go. The details absolutely matter. You're, you're absolutely right here, right? Because this is, none of these things happen as, as sort they're of like- They're so connected to individual so many things. Circumstances. And that's why I so don't here's the deal. want when, to do it on my own. To say and, that you are, across the board opposed to something is a very black or white position, right? And that's what we tend to do when we talk about abortion rights. It's either you're this or you're the other, but everything happens in the gray. We all live in the gray area, right? So say you're a 20 something, right? The vast majority of abortions are uh, given to women who are in their 20s in America, right? Okay, yeah. So say you're a 20 something year old, you go out on a Friday night, you are raped on the Friday night, you take a morning after pill the next day. Are you mm. opposed to that? Am I opposed to them taking a morning after pill? Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. You don't know? Yeah. But I'm asking you to make up your mind. Ah! You just said I live in the gray. You why are can literally a pro-life <laughs> activist. You don't have yeah, a stance on um, how a 20-something-year-old who's live in the raped gray? should have a say over what happens well, to her body this, the next you know, day. Um, I have a friend uh, who we don't have to make up situations. That was her situation. She was raped. And uh, I don't think she's in her 20s because uh, she's a little bit older than that. But it was really violent. And the guy left her in a hotel. He ended up. He was a serial rapist and murderer. And she had the choice to take a morning after pill. And for whatever reason, she didn't. It wasn't necessarily like I'm, I have these strong pro-life views. I'm not doing this. I think it was just from what I've talked to her, but I think also to do with the chemicals and not knowing exactly what it was and being comfortable with it for whatever, or maybe just in shock and thinking, I don't think I could ever be pregnant anyway. So she didn't take it. And she got pregnant. And she suffered a lot of just judgment from people even in her own family mm -hmm. because she decided to parent her son and she has a beautiful little boy and I've met him and he's so sweet and she has a wonderful family and her husband they have other kids and they were done having kids uh, but they accepted uh, he accepted this boy as his own son, and she says he's not just, he's not the rapist baby. You know, he's my son. He's my child, and he has her beautiful blue eyes, and, Christina, you know, she walked through you're that. you're not answering my question. 
No, I am. I'm telling no. you a story what of someone friend that friend went through. You told was, me a story. Was terrible. I'm telling you a story. But what is the point of your story? story? What was the point of your story? I mean, I'm the stories. I think stories have a point. I really do. And this is what I'll say about that. I think stories have a point because when you hear about these issues like rape, right? When you hear about, let's talk about other hard topics, women who are, they have a child that's sick or Down syndrome, you know, you often hear really the the story where a woman who's raped chooses an abortion. And you rarely hear the story of the woman who is raped who chooses what life. What I'm or hearing the woman, you say is that you don't think they should have the choice to take the morning after pill. Nope. What I'm saying is that these this gray area needs more stories. That's what I'm saying. This gray area... That doesn't answer my question. Well... What do you believe? I mean, I'm what sorry that's not answering your question, but I... What do you believe? I, someone is raped. I believe... Someone is raped. Do they get to take the morning after pill the next day? I don't know. I, I, I don't consider... Understand. Well, I will say I this. I don't consider... I don't have a stance I, on this. I mean, I'm a human. So there's a lot... <laughs> you are also there's, a pro-life activist. I know. You either do there's or a lot. you don't believe. No, it's not that. I mean... You're asking me about the gray area, and You're it's saying, not that... Okay, so if there's gray area... I don't consider... So I'll say this, you yes. know? I, in a lot of areas, and I won't get off tangent with different things, you know? But there are, let's just say, race and abortion and Black Lives Matter and all these different things... I'm still, there's a lot of things that I still process through. Uh, so you're I, still processing how you feel about someone being raped and being able to take a morning after pill. You're not sure how you feel about that. I mean, I, d there's certain abortion uh, birth control forms that I consider an abortifacient. Um, I don't necessarily consider the morning after pill an abortifacient. So you'd be okay with the morning after pill being available? For I'm not then. saying that. I mean, it's already available, but. You wouldn't advocate for taking away. The morning after pill. I right now don't do that. Okay. Okay. I don't do that. What if that same person who's raped on a Friday night waits a month before electing to have an abortion? What if? What do you mean? Would you? You're talking about the abortion pill. I'm talking about a medical procedure. You mean a surgical abortion? Yes. Well, well you well, know that I'm against those. So the that time, the month would be too long for you then. No, I mean I am when there. When a child is conceived, you know, and I'm not great at science, so if I say the wrong things, please forgive me. I flunked science, like I mentioned, I think I mentioned something about that in the beginning, maybe with my grades. But when a life is conceived, I'm against the taking of that life. So what if that, what if there was a life conceived on the Friday night that the woman was raped? Well, then, then that would probably make up my mind. And then I would say that I'm against the morning after pill. But like I said, I'm still processing it. And there's some things that... Well, you know, would you, you just need don't to know. make up your mind about that, though? Well, because all of these things that we discuss, I mean, no one, there's not a pro-life, pro-choice, I don't think, switch. When you say you're pro-life, it's not you get a download of every single question. What do you think about this and what do you think about that? And with the download comes these pre-prepared answers, no, you know? No, this is not you about pre-preparing, though. This is about advocating for a choice that is right now available to women and advocating for taking that choice away. That is, that's what yeah, you've been and doing. That's, yes, and I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not saying you it's should not, be ashamed of that. I'm just saying to say that this doesn't fall in line with that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it doesn't fall in line. All I'm so saying would, is that. But that would mean that you are against the morning after pill. No, what I'm saying to you is this, and I don't know why it's hard to, to understand it. Maybe I'm not making myself clear. I, with every decision when it comes to Oh, so let's just talk about rape, for example. Um, there are a lot of people who are 
pro-life, but not pro-life when it comes to rape. Right. Right? There are are you one of those people? Um, no. But there are a lot of people who are pro-choice, okay? But they have a real issue with third trimester abortions, late-term abortions. Sure. There's a lot of people like that. Yes. And that's what we were talking about before, which is the gray and where do you fall? And there's a lot of people who are, you know, figuring out the question. I mean, I'm not one of these people, you know, but where does life begin? When does it begin? You know, what birth control methods there are? What are abortifacients? What are not abortifacients? And so what I'm saying is, you know, if I say I don't know about something, it's because, you know, I'm still processing something. You can ask me personally for me, and I, I know what I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but the, I know but for me, law, I would he, not take the morning after pill. That's for, I sure. know for me. Right. I'm very confident that. Because you're making that choice yes. for yourself. And right now, millions of women have that choice to make for themselves. Yes. You're advocating to take that choice away. What I'm saying is that I know for me that I would do that. Uh, when I talk about abortion, you know, I'm not going to the grocery store and protesting morning after pill in the aisles. You know, whether I'm or not, not saying I, that you're doing that. I'm not saying that you're doing that. But when you're advocating for that choice to be taken away, you're simultaneously saying that women shouldn't be able to do that thing that you have said you wouldn't want to do for yourself, and that's fine. No, not but that necessarily. Other women may choose to not do necessarily. For like, I, I would. So, I don't have a problem with gradual change when it comes to abortion. So, what I mean by that is, like I mentioned before, how. A majority of people in the country have a problem with late-term abortions. America is only one of right, but one. But the vast majority of abortions occur at 12 weeks or earlier. But we're still one of only seven countries in the entire world that does abortions till nine months, and that's very disturbing. And people agree with that. So if Literally tomorrow, 90 percent of them are performed at 12 weeks or earlier, though you know that. I'm one person, so and I have one life that I value. So I value the one life of any person. So the numbers. You know, if there's 20,000, 30,000 children that die a year, you know, let's say uh, from second trimester abortions or third trimester abortions, I'm not going to be comforted by that reality because... Okay. Let's talk of, about honoring you know, life. You, you, look, say there's another circumstance, right? There's a woman in her mid-40s, high-risk pregnancy. Uh, the risk of carrying the pregnancy to full term means that the mother will almost certainly either end up in very bad circumstances or die and that woman has to make a choice in her first trimester do you think it's okay for her to choose to have an abortion well i will say this that just happened too um with the it woman all who, the time well i know but I'm i mean asking. like in a public way where a lot of people knew and it, it's interesting because it it's the men- the story i mentioned with the rape um i went to interview her uh for her story and at the same time that same weekend everyone was talking about well, not everyone, but a lot of people were talking about the mother who chose life. Uh, she had an advanced stage of cancer, mm-hmm. and she chose, chose to forego to treatment. Forego treatment, sure. and then she ended up dying. And you know, she, the child ended up dying too, uh, which I don't know if a lot of people know that. Uh, at first, the child lived, uh, and then the child ended up dying. And so that story, you know. For me, it was very convicting uh, because I still say to myself, you know, wow, Christina, like, would you, uh, would you do that? And that might sound crazy that I would say that, you know, would you do that? But I still think, you know, 
I am very strong in my beliefs. I am. I'm very strong in my beliefs, obviously. Uh, but I still ask myself that question, you know, because I've never been in that boat before. Um, I'm so, not asking what you would do. I know, Again. but I'm just... No, and I, I uh, understand. I understand. I'm sorry, I can't I, answer the questions in the way that you like, but I'm just sharing my heart. I'm asking and if I, you believe. I'm asking what well, you I'm, believe. Well, I'm talking to you about my beliefs. I, I'm kind of maybe going in a way that makes sense to me and to share what I believe, but I don't want to give a list. I'm not, I'm I don't think that it's... I'm saying that these I don't are very specific list. circumstances. So Do you believe that that woman should have the choice to say what, what happens with her life? This is what I want to say. So you don't want to I answer don't my question? Give, no. I, so that I don't want to answer your question. But you want I want to give context to your question. I don't want to just give you a bunch of yes or no situations because I could do that but what is the point like I mean I could say to you no 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 I could do that but what is the point like I you add I you advocate to take away that choice from women which is absolutely saying that absolutely you're right I advocate to save human life I advocate to protect life I advocate to protect women who have been abused and hurt by the abortion industry especially in the black community and all those things but the way you keep on saying it is like you advocate to take things away but it's I advocate advocate to give both to give hope to give purpose to give women all the ability to know that they're not alone and I don't want to give a bunch of Yes and no answers. What I want to do is share stories because I think stories are important. And for every story you mentioned, the rape, the woman who's you know pregnant and there's a there's a you know a health issue and she could die. There are real people, and I want to look at their stories so and talk about, about their person. stories. And let I want to say you about a real person. Then okay, but is there's, there's a seventeen-year-old. The <laughs> there's a seventeen-year-old down in Texas right now. She crossed the border illegally. She may have very well been raped along the way. She's pregnant. She has the money to pay for it. She has a judge's order saying that she's able to get it, but she's being blocked by the government from getting that abortion that she wants to get. Do you think she should be able to get one? I don't think that an abortion would be good for a 17-year-old woman. I don't think that she should be able to get one. I think abortion, I know abortion hurts women, and I would never, ever want my own daughter at 17 years old to have to go through something like that. I want what's best for her, and I believe what's best for women is not terminating the life of the child that's inside of them. I believe there's emotional consequences for that and pain, as well as possible physical consequences for it. And why would I want that for someone? Why would I want them to have to go through that? I don't. I would love for her to get whatever assistance she needs. I don't know how far, do you know how far along she is? I think she's closing in on 12 weeks now, maybe. Okay, so she's 12 weeks. I would love for her to get whatever assistance she can to be able to help carry the baby through. And I would love for her to be able to either to have resources to parent. I Obviously, if she's seeking an abortion, she may not want to do that because adoption is uh, for many women who are seeking abortion. Adoption isn't their first option. Uh, it, I would love for her to be able to have information about that option of adoption and to process it and to think through it and to and to choose it if she so desires. But. I mean, I think we could ask, you could ask, and you may have like 10 more of those situations in there. I don't know. You could ask a million situations, but if abortion, if I believe that abortion is not good for women, if I believe that abortion hurts women, if I believe that abortion takes the life of the child inside of them, then regardless of the circumstance, that doesn't change. But 
again, like these are the stories that the media and people in Hollywood and celebrities always talk about. We don't often hear the stories of the women who choose to have life when, they, when they've been violently raped and place their child for adoption. And their child grows up to be a wonderful person like Ryan Bomberger or Becca Kiesling or these people. You know, there's a whole group called Save the One where it's all stories of people. We don't hear about stories like Jana Jensen or Melissa Odin who survived abortions. Like, not me where I my mom walked out. I mean, they were aborted. Like, and you know, saline abortion. Melissa's was, I, I think, at eight or nine months, and they survived it. Like, these are the stories that I think the public should hear and we should talk about because they're just as important as the other really hard cases. And I feel that when it comes to this issue or this, you know, this conversation, we're always asking people. What about the tough cases? What about the hard cases? Well, we can talk about those, but let's remember that 99% of the cases are not these cases. Abortions through rape, abortions through health situations, these are less than 1%. And you said numbers and statistics matter. You said that's not just about emotions and stories and everything else, but it's about facts. So when we talk about facts, we can ask all these questions, but this is not the majority. 99% of the time when a woman gets an abortion, it's not because she's raped. It's not because the baby's dying or you know, the baby has Down syndrome. It's because of an elective reason. It doesn't diminish any of those cases by any means. It does not diminish it, but this is the bulk. This is the majority, and it's often pressure by a boyfriend, lack of resources, pressure by a college professor or just the feeling that I can't do this. I can't go to school and have a baby. I can't, you know, I can't work at my job because once they find out I'm pregnant, they're going to fire me. And that's the reality. And that's where I do the bulk of my work because that's what those are where the women are making those decisions every single day. And that's the vast majority of the cases. And I think that there are things that we can do in society to help those women. And, you know, we haven't even talked about any of those. We talked a little bit about them, but there's like so much more that we could talk about. Even, I mean, there's colleges right now who are doing things where they have dorm rooms where sometimes you can bring, a, you know, a child into the dorm room or they're making campuses friendlier. Students for Life has a program called uh, Pregnant on Campus where mm-hmm. they're making campuses friendlier for pregnant women because. I have friends that young people that I work with mentor who go to college campuses and the the more kind of elite ones especially they don't see pregnant girls like they just don't see them mm-hmm. and it's not that they're not getting pregnant mm-hmm. they're getting pregnant but when they get pregnant they feel as if I can't do this and they can do it but they're told that they can't do it and they're offered abortion easily because it's in people's opinion, the best option for them. You know, how do you think you can go to school and still have a kid? And so, let me ask that's the kind of work that I want to do. That's the kind of work I do. Before I let you go, and you clearly care so deeply about all of this, and I thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for seeing that, and I know you care too. Look, this is... I don't know your personal opinions, but I mean, you have to care in order to You say that you want what's best for women. You call yourself a feminist. Don't you think that other women should be able to decide what they think is best for them? They can't decide. They do decide. I mean, you're, I'm, when, let's just say abortion even became illegal, you know, no one's going to take the right away from women to still decide what they want to do. I mean, like anything else, you can do whatever you want to do. No one, no but one's not forcibly. Have a safer legal abortion. Well, you can do whatever you want to do, but our laws that we have in our country, they protect human life. And so you can do whatever you want to do, but those laws enable us, like Martin Luther King said it, people are always like, 
You know, what do you do when you can't change people's hearts? You know, even if the laws change, can't pe- change people's hearts. And he was like, yeah, but I can change someone from lynching me. And so I'm, I'm good with that. And I just, you know, relate to that a lot. Like people's hearts may never change. People will always be able to decide what they want to do. And especially now, I'm sure that there's a lot of people that do abortion pills in the black market and overseas. And so even as we continue with technology and everything, if it ever became illegal, we'd probably see a lot of those things. And I, I hope not, but I'm just, you know, just like anything else, drugs or anything. It's not that because yeah. you put a law and say there's no drugs, like, oh, then people don't take drugs anymore. They do. They find ways to do it. So people can always decide what they want to do. I want people to know that there's other options. And I want people to know that abortion is not what they've been sold and told that it is. And again, I was born in 1981, you know, abortion became legalized in 1973. That's all I've ever known. Mm -hmm. And most millennials have ever known, but my grandmother and her generation and those before, they lived and they survived and they had wonderful lives. And in fact, in some ways I'm jealous and envious of the lives that they had because I know they just, at least for my own family, you know, my mother and her sisters and just the relationship that they have. It's just, it's just beautiful. And I look at that and I say, wow, you know, families have changed and uh, become more broken. And I think abortion plays a big factor in that because it's allowed them to be more broken and it's allowed abuse and it's allowed, you know, sex traffickers to get off the hook because they can just take the girl to get an abortion. I mean, I think about things like that and we didn't get into that and there's not time for it, but it's like, we There's don't realize how many links there lot. are to all those things. Look, we could we could, I know, we, we, could, could we could go on for a really long time. Maybe we'll have you back. We can keep talking a little I bit would more. Love that. I I just <laughs> want to thank you so much for being here. Oh, of really course. truly and for your candor and for your your honesty and thank you. uh, and the passion that you clearly bring to what you thank believe you. in. And I can I just say I I know I'm a little intense and so I'm sorry if I was like a little bit like I don't want to answer your questions so they don't want to answer your questions I just know before I even came here to talk to you because that's just the way it is like anytime you're pro-life someone's gonna corner you and be like what about a 11 year old girl that got raped what do you think about that and I'm not saying that that was your intention to do that but that's just well, it was my intention to get an answer well, which I didn't get that's what but maybe another well, time we can, I just want to drill have, down into the details. I like having a conversation about it because, yeah. and I like telling stories, and that's what I wanted to do because art moves your heart, stories move your heart more than laws and quick numbers and uh, yes and no answers do. I appreciate your time. Christina Bennett, Thank thanks for being here. Thank you for listening to Uncomfortable. Each of our episodes is now available on the TuneIn app. TuneIn is a free mobile audio app available across iOS, Android, and Windows. Download it for free today and listen to the latest episodes of Uncomfortable five days before they're released. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and at abcnews.com. And if you like what we're doing, take a minute, leave us a rating and a quick review. It helps others to find these conversations, and we really just want to hear what you think. Plus, we have made it easy. Just click on the link in the description of this episode. And if you have an idea for a show topic or a guest, leave it in the reviews. Or you can tweet at me, at Navazistan. That's N-A-W-A-Z-I-S-T-A-N. Or use our hashtag, UncomfortableTalk. Uncomfortable is a product of ABC News. New episodes post every two weeks on Tuesday mornings. And don't forget, episodes are released five days early on the TuneIn app. I'm Amna Navaz. Thanks for listening.